When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you want to know what it takes to make Newcastle United a successful side? Do you want to learn the secrets about what goes on in the boardroom? Do you want to know what it takes to turn Newcastle from a relegation-threatened side into one that very nearly won the Premier League title? I think he just might. I'm talking about the entertainers era under Kevin Keegan, that fast-flowing, electric football, the one that lasts long in the memory, the side that may well be the reason you are a Newcastle United fan. Well, to look back on that time, I've gone and got the man who bankrolled Kevin Keegan, the man who signed the checks to allow Sir Les Ferdinand, Alan Shearer and countless other superstars to arrive on Tyneside and get within touching distance of the Premier League title. Yes, Sir John Hall. He is a late but very special addition to the Everything is Black and White podcast live taking place on Wednesday, August 30th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Not long to go till the event and not many tickets remain on sale either, but there are a few that you can get your hands on. I'm going to pop the link into the description, click on that, go through to the website and secure your tickets now. It's going to be a great evening. We're going to talk about Newcastle United of the current day, the transfer market, the Champions League and Eddie Howe. We've got the times of Henry Winter. We've got BBC Newcastle's Matthew Wiesbeck and, of course, our great panel here from the Chronicle. But Sir John Hall, what a magical name to add to the bill. We cannot wait. We hope to see you there. So click that link, secure your tickets to the Everything is Black and White podcast live. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's the Monday show, yes, yet again on a Tuesday with me, Andrew Musgrove, and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. Anyone hoping that the bank holiday would have dampened our disappointment felt after Sunday's last gasp defeat to Liverpool? Well, you can keep hoping. Darwin Nunez's brace is still very much on my mind. I don't know about you, Aaron, but at least it's on my mind. In today's episode, we'll reflect on the game, just how Newcastle, how Newcastle United threw the 1-0 lead away and that man advantage. We'll discuss what the thinking was behind Eddie Howe's subs, which arguably cost Newcastle the game. I'm going to defend Miguel Miron and Aaron's going to sing the praises of Anthony Gordon. All that and more to come on today's episode of The Thing is Black and White Podcast. If you're watching live, do get into the comments. Let us know what you think about what we're discussing or just pass on your comments about Sunday's game against Liverpool. Aaron, how are you doing? You keeping well? Yeah, I think I'm nearly over it. I think... Me weekend was going very well until about quarter past six on Sunday. Um, maybe twenty four hours, and then I'll be it'll be fully out my system. Yeah, it's a hard one to take. I mean, Eddie Howe said after the game, it was it was it was like that last gasp defeat to Liverpool at Anfield last season. 
I'm going to disagree with him on that. I think that game, that was just football. People might say, you know, Newcastle got what they deserved because of time wasted, et cetera, et cetera. But that was, you know, just football. On Sunday, I felt it was much more about what Newcastle didn't do rather than what Liverpool did do. I mean, Jurgen Klopp changed, you know, changed the game with his tactics and he deserves praise for that. And we will talk about that. But that being said, Newcastle still had the man advantage. still had the, the one goal to the good. And it was really what Newcastle, as I said, didn't do that played into Klopp's plans to get back into the game that ultimately won Liverpool all three points. Yeah, interesting to hear Eddie Howe say that about it, feeling the same. I think for me, it felt worse. I think you remember that Anfield game last year and it was, you know, 1-1 and actually Liverpool were sort of piling the pressure towards the end. Whereas this time around, at 10 minutes to go, you didn't see any way in Newcastle United we're going to let 10-man Liverpool take you know, a point, let alone three. Um, I know we'll talk about it further on the show. You know, I've seen lots of people talking about game management and stuff, and I know we will talk about the subs, but I think actually Newcastle played well. I didn't think there was any real periods of the game where Liverpool looked like they were really on top, apart from maybe a sort of 10-minute spell midway through the second half, um, which again just sort of adds to the disappointment of how they didn't see it through. I'm going, to, I'm going to slightly disagree with you there, actually, because I, I turned to my mate and said it was about 65 minutes on the clock, and I turned to him and said, this is going to be a long half hour if this is their game plan, because at that point, Liverpool had pushed Newcastle so deep, and it was as if Newcastle were the ones down to 10 men, and as the game went on, I, I was worried, and as soon as Liverpool scores, I said, you know, they've got this, they're going to win this, because Newcastle just looked deflated. And then you 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 kind of put that together with, with how they played that entire second half without that killer instinct, really without the know-how of what to do when they're expected to be in control of a game. Now, I think long-term, if they can learn from all the mistakes that played out in that second half against Sunday, and there were quite a few, if they can learn from that, then it's actually going to be a really valuable lesson in the long-term progress of the club. That doesn't make it hurt any less um, right now, but I think it's really important to kind of look at the positives and the bigger picture and, and just say, look, if Newcastle can learn how to deal with having to be in control of a game against a good side, then this is the starting point of doing that. I know you've just disagreed with me there, but I'm going to have to disagree back. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't remember the game unfolding with Newcastle sitting very, very deep in the second half. I just don't. You can probably count on one hand the, the chances Liverpool had in the second half and they've scored two of them. And, you know, Salah maybe got put behind for one. Very good block from Botman. But other than that, you know, really was there a, a spell other than maybe 65 to 70 minutes to 75 where Liverpool actually looked like getting back in the game. And I think there was a little brief point, but I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh my God, they've got it covered. They've got it covered. Them. And I thought Newcastle were actually going to go and score, you know, again, we saw so many chances in that second half when he could have killed it off. Um, you know, Miggy's had two, Barnes has had one, Longstaff and Botman have had, you know, half chances as well. There wasn't any real moment for me where I thought Liverpool were in control of that game, I'll be completely honest. It must be the optimism of youth, Aaron. Because I have to say, as let's say that as the game won, I was just thinking, I'm not I'm not feeling overly confident here. Uh, and Again, it was just, it was just, I don't know, they just seemed to lack that experience and that. I, I don't know whether, I, I've seen some people suggest that they were kind of 
scared of Liverpool, for want of a better phrase, in terms of they didn't really want to to push on because they were they were afraid of what Liverpool would do if they got the ball in terms of another you know, speed of Salah, and then when Nunes was introduced and you had Jota. And I just I don't know. Do, do you not subscribe to that? You, you don't. You don't. You don't agree. Are, are you kind of just saying, look, it was it was two really good finishes, two unlucky, well, one unlucky mistake for the first goal, uh, for the second goal, um, I suppose, and the first goal, and, and you just put it down to bad luck. No, I would say I put it down to bad luck. I think I put it down to a combination thing. I think Newcastle lacked killer instinct. There's there's no doubt about it. They had numerous chances to kill the game. They couldn't take them. I think the Harvey Barnes chance at the end, I think that was the only time I really thought they looked scared. I thought Harvey Barnes didn't know what to do. He dawdled too long. And maybe if that game was three or four one, like it was at Villa when he got the same chance and he took it so calmly, I think it could have been a different moment. I think uh, the, the subs, not just from Eddie Howe, but also, for, also from Jurgen Klopp, I think they both changed the game. I think Klopp's um, decision to bring Jotter on really, really changed the game for Liverpool. Nunes obviously did very, very well. Um, and even Kwanzaa at the back, the, the central defender they brought on for Matip, I thought he did really, really well in the second half. I think it was a combination of things. But actually, I think if you... if you And I remember sitting thinking this when it was 1-0. Newcastle were actually playing some really lovely football. If that Miggy chance in the second half where he blazes in the top of the Gallagher, if that went in, we'd be sat here talking about a potential team goal of the season already. So... Uh, it's fine margins, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. And, and as and as you know, as uh, as I tweeted the other day, watching the game back, you saw on another day. I think that would have been three or four nil Newcastle. If it maybe wasn't Liverpool, I think it would have been three or four Newcastle. They had so many opportunities. But is that not the yeah. is that not the slight issue? I think this is what people are discussing on, on social media. And I, again, I'll interested to get your thoughts on it. The fact that we're saying that if that wasn't against Liverpool now. Does that mean Newcastle players were, were sort of yeah afraid of what Liverpool could do even with ten men? I, I, I'm just interested to get a bit bit more of your thoughts on that because I've heard a lot of people say if that wasn't Liverpool, Newcastle would be coming away with all three points. The, the way I meant it initially, I think I think you can take it both ways. Let's let's look at their big four chances that they had to kill the game off. Miggy's first one where he chests it and volleys it. That is just a sublime save by Allison. And, you know, his second chance, he's inches away. On any other day, I think that goes in the back of the net instead of hitting the post. Then you've maybe got the argument of, OK, it was Liverpool and maybe they, they were a little bit nervous. As I said earlier, Harvey Barnes had a very similar opportunity against Villa and on two occasions he took it. The first time he squared it at Wilson, the second time he scored. He maybe just, you know, he didn't look confident when he ran through on, on goal on Sunday. And the Miggy one way blazes it over, look... On another day, I think it goes in. It's just, it was a bit of bad luck. But I I just keep thinking about how well I thought they were playing at certain points of that second half. And it just, I wasn't sat there thinking they're giving too, Liverpool too much respect. I think they just got a little bit unlucky on the day. Please, you guys watching, there are quite a few of you watching, I do get in the comments. Because again, I'm going to disagree with, with Aaron. I, I thought... They were they were good in in stages and that's enough of keeping the ball. They were they were passing it around side to side, but it just lacked that killer instinct. And I, I'm I'm not too keen to say they were they, they were they were playing well at that stage because I I'll go the other way and say well actually I think they were shown they were shown a bit of fear towards Liverpool and 
people will argue and say, well, you know, we're only 18 months into the journey. You know, this is it. This is the next step is going up against these teams and beating them on a more regular basis and not not fearing them. Now, fan-wise, because I said pre-game, I don't think anyone's actually going into this game fearing Liverpool. I think people feel that they could have gotten three points uh, from Liverpool. And that's very much the feeling after the game as well. But I just think on the pitch, there just seemed to be a little bit of a different feeling. And maybe it is a psychological barrier to get over. And maybe it's a bit like the cup final. You know, Newcastle United have now been to a cup final. Next time they get there, it'll be a totally different kind of, totally different game because they won't feel grateful of there. They won't feel, oh, wow, this is the first time I've been there in 20 years. You know, it'll start to become regular, start to become their home. And maybe that's what they've got to do against these top sides like Liverpool and Man City, where once they start beating them more than once, two, three times in the next few years, then that, that kind of maybe that fear and trepidation it, it isn't there anymore. Maybe. I think just going back to your first point about about the fear, I, I really, really disagree. Watch watch that Harvey Barnes chance back from when it, it starts. Nunes loses the ball, Byrne gives it a bottman, he's calm out of defence, Joelinton spins, takes two touches, Barnes is in behind. Really lovely football that on another day would have resulted in a goal. I don't think Miggy showed any fear at all when he picks the ball up in his own half, takes on three players and hits the post. I don't think Newcastle were out there looking nervous. I think they were playing close to what is their usual game. I thought first half, even when it was 11 versus 11, I thought they were on top before sending off. I, I don't, I honestly don't think, from where I was sat, and maybe I'm looking at it wrong, I wasn't sat there thinking they're giving Liverpool too much of a ball or too much respect. But on, on, the, on the further point, let's, let's, zoom out a little bit. They've played three games, two of the biggest sides, and really, I mean, they should have beaten Liverpool on, on Sunday or at least got a point. City, you could argue on another day, they would have taken something. It is maybe a little lesson for them going forward that there's still a bit of a way to go, you know, to, until they're matching these teams consistently. Hello, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Andrew Muscov here. Thank you very much for tuning in. I just want to point you in the direction of the Football Content Awards and urge you guys to vote for the Everything is Black and White podcast. I've popped the link where you can vote into the description. If you click on that and you scroll down to the best podcast, now there you have options. You can vote for the best podcast in the Premier League, Football League and International. Now, obviously, we'll be going for the category of the Premier League, but we need your votes. So if you can pop the everything is black and white podcast into the box and then submit your form. There's also other sections you can vote for, like best influencer, best creator, best media organisation. So have a blast. Vote for everybody Newcastle United-wise in there, but make sure you vote for the Everything is Black and White podcast in the Premier League section of the best podcast. We really would love you guys to help us out. It's a pleasure to be coming to you at least four times a week. We really do love doing this. And we really do appreciate your support in the Football Content Awards. Thank you very much. Let's get back on with the show. And just to be clear, I'm not saying they played badly in that second half. Yeah. I just don't think they had the confidence to do what we know they can do. And is it not a fair point to say that when, you're got, when you've got the man advantage and you're a goal up, should you not be going for the jugular? And it didn't, it didn't feel like Newcastle... We're doing that. And again, I, I go back to the fact there was a lot of passes side to side. And as the, the, the half w- w- went on, you could see people that they weren't confident enough to, to go through the middle with the ball. It was always out to the wide and then it was always back. And 
the, the issue with crosses as well. And we've mentioned it a lot on this podcast, but there was two or three opportunities for Trippier to get the ball in the box and he, he went back. And, it, you know, get the ball in the box. Get that ball in the box because they can't touch you in the box. They can't put the hands up. You know, the down to 10 men, you can create chaos. But with, with the quality of Trippier's uh, uh, crosses, you've got to get those balls in the box. I think Alan Shearer references it as well in his tweet. Like if you're not putting the balls in the box and you're just going back, you are playing into into Liverpool's hands. And it was just frustrating because, again, we know they've got the quality to to to, to beat Liverpool. We know they have. But I just felt with the changes Klopp made, you mentioned, you know, Jota coming on and, and then the way... That they were essentially playing box to box. That's what they were doing. They made it very now, very hard for Newcastle to, to essentially pass through the middle. Um, but by, by kind of sitting off, and I'll probably get dogs abuse for it, but... By kind of sitting off, I think you play into Liverpool's hands and what happens, happens at the end of the game. And yes, look, they had four shots on target, two, four shots on goal, two on target, I think it was. Another day, it's another result. But I do feel I do feel like Newcastle aided what was it? What was a brilliant tactical kind of masterstroke by Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I mean, look, there's an argument for it. I think um I think the substitutions at, at 72 minutes, I think they had like a, a pre-planned feel about them, which, which is, is never the way to go for me. I mean, look, looking at the three changes he made at the same time, Sandro Tonalia, for me, was probably the best midfielder in Newcastle's three on Sunday, and he gets brought off. Anthony Gordon gets brought off for Harvey Barnes, which which has all the, the feels of a pre-planned, Eddie Howe knew that that was the sub he was going to make in the 72nd second minute. I can't understand it. Is he not is he not fit enough to play 90 minutes? Why would you take Anthony Gordon off, who for me was their most, you know, promising attacker from minute one? You know, and if he isn't fit enough at the minute, then how on earth not? He's had a full he's had a full summer with no breast. He's you know he's absolutely firing. I can't understand why he would take him off. And Isaac for Wilson, I could sort of understand, but I thought Wilson was really, really poor when he came on. So the subs did change the game in the in the last 15. Do you feel like Newcastle made the most of the Alexander-Arnold yellow card? Because, especially in the second half, I just felt a lot of the play was kind of over on Almiron's side. And I, again, I don't think they really pressed on the fact that Gordon had him for breakfast every single time Gordon got the better of him. You know, but there wasn't too many opportunities in that second half where, you, where, you, where, they went, where you went up against him. Um, and really pressed him because he, he was one challenge away from getting sent off. And again, that changes the outcome of the game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There was moments in that second half where I was sort of sat saying to myself, just just run at him. Even if you lose the ball, just have a go at him. And I, I never thought I'd be saying this so early in the season, but it was actually one of those days where I think Newcastle might have actually been you know, better off with Alan St. Maximum on the wing. Because you know every time Maxi was picking up that ball, he would be you know going for... Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, no, I, th- I think there is an argument to say they didn't make the most of it. As you say, he was on a tightrope from minute one, um, you know, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. But I, but just on going, I, th- I thought he'd, I thought he did very well. Yeah, well, we said you were going to sing his praises um, and I'll let you do that in a moment. We've got Darren saying, I would have kept Gordon on, taking off Miggy for Bournes. Gordon was causing them. Uh, Gordon, Gordon was cause, cause, uh, causing them all sort of uh, problems. And there's a lot of people agreeing with that kind of um, comment. Uh, we've got Gary saying Newcastle lost the ball too easily and lost some cutting edge after the subs. We've got Jory Toon for life. 
saying fans on social media need to get off Almiron's back. He's the new scapegoat for some reason. Yes, he doesn't cross the ball, but we don't from the left either. On the odd occasion, he says we do, but uh, for the majority, we don't. Darwin's back in. He says watching the game, you think it was Newcastle down to 10 men and on the back foot. And I, before we speak about Gordon for I defend uh, Almiron a little bit further, the the the... The belief that actually going down to 10 men hindered Newcastle to a certain extent. What, what's your thoughts on that? Sorry, Liverpool uh, rather going down to 10 men. Surprised to hear Eddie Howe come, come, come out and say that afterwards. He said that he felt like it hampered them a bit. I don't think that should ever be the case. I think you're at St James's Park at home and for all those fans, it was a white-hot atmosphere from minute one. You know, I, I understand clubs, sh- uh, teams shut up shop and, you know, it does sometimes make harder when you... You try to find those gaps, but you know that shouldn't have been the case. When Van Dyke gets sent off that early in the game, it should not hamper you. You know, you should be able to deal with that. And for the best part, I thought they did, you know, without you know struggling in the final third. Um but but, but I didn't agree with those comments after the game. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting one to uh to hear from, from Eddie Howe because I mean, surely when you've got a, a man advantage, it, it makes it, you know, you should be looking to, I mean, you will be looking to win the game. But like I said, just it just felt like Newcastle were the one with a man down. It was just really bizarre second half. And do, do you think the message from Howard half-time was patient? Let's be patient and we'll get the second goal. Rather than go out there, go quick, start fast and get that second goal. I mean, maybe. I think, I think, just because Newcastle had the man advantage, I don't think they should have been going completely gung-ho. I mean, they didn't go gung-ho and they, and they ended up losing the game. Maybe there was a little bit of fear that, you know, we know Liverpool can hurt us on the counter. Um, I think the fresh legs of Nunes really helped. I think when he watched that second goal, um, you know, Dan Byrne and Target both asleep, Nunes so fresh, so late away. I think there was maybe a little a little bit of them saying, we don't want to overcommit ourselves because we know we can get punished. And ultimately, they didn't overcommit themselves and still got punished. So, yeah, it was, it's just a you know one of those days. And John says, on your point, Aaron, about Alan St. Maxman, how he maybe would have done, done against uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, he says, that's uh, that's crap. Gordon was on fire. Maxi wouldn't have been much better. And a lot of people actually in the comments saying, why didn't Newcastle go to two men up top? Why didn't Eddie Howe throw on Callum Wilson? alongside Alexander Isaac and try and go for that second goal? Um, look, I think the answer to that would be, you know, how often have we ever seen Eddie Howe, you know, revert from this 4-3-3? He doesn't do it when they're a man down, he doesn't do it when they're, you know, a, a man up. I, I just think, you know, how often have we really seen it? The last time off the top of my head that we saw Wilson and Isaac together as a front two was maybe, was maybe Fulham. You know, early start, early part of this year, he doesn't do it very often. Um, you know, you can argue whether Isaac for Wilson was actually the best, you know, substitution. I think, as I touched on earlier in the show, I was really, really surprised at Callum Wilson. I thought he was, I thought he was really, really bad on Sunday. I thought Joe Gomez absolutely bullied him at the back. You know, some of the stats that I've read since, you know, eighty minutes, no passes completed, four touches. It was, it was really, really bad from Wilson, not just Barnes. So. As I say, we, we very rarely see Eddie Howe, um, you know, go those two up top unless he really needs to. And there was one moment when the ball came into Callum Wilson and he had his back to the goal and he kind of twisted 
and he kind of side-footed it towards the goal, might have gone wide. And I'm just thinking, take a touch there, take a touch. Yeah. Because again, if the defender checks you, it's a penalty. And, you know, there comes the second goal. He, yeah, he didn't look himself. Um, but again, I think that just all played into to the... I, I, I know we disagree, but for me, I think Wilson's performance kind of just plays into how I felt the game and the atmosphere was going towards the end of that game. I think it felt nervous and it felt a bit lethargic. Um, and as many people have said, and I've already said it, it's a, it is a it's a big learning curve for Newcastle. And in the long run, if they can bounce back from this and, and learn from it, then you know it's 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 it, it's one to take. Um, let's just talk briefly about the red card for Van Dyke. Um, I mean, anyone who's saying it was not a clear goal scoring opportunity, hello, Jamie Carger, is on a completely different. Planet. I mean, it is one of the clearest red cards you will ever see. Yeah, I think the only person I've actually seen say that it probably shouldn't have been a red card is Jamie Carragher, who's usually usually very very spot on with his um, with his pundit shouts. But yeah, absolutely, you know, clear as day. Um, I think if the referee hadn't given it, there would have been an absolute mutiny in St James's Park after what happened with Alexander Arnold a couple of minutes earlier. So. Yeah, absolute clearest day for me. How on earth Carragher and say he doesn't know whether that would be a goal scoring opportunity? I don't know. Yeah, very, very bizarre. On Alexander Arnold, I mean, when when you look back on the what he got booked for, I mean, it should have been a free kick to him in the first yeah. place. Gordon sent him flying, so it was a, it was a harsh yellow card. But that being said, he's been given that first caution, and I think if he hasn't got that caution, then then the the, the, the foul on Gordon. Is a is a yellow card, so he should have, he should have seen red, regardless of what you think about that first yellow card he got. He had it. He should have been also down the tunnel. Yeah, look, I I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think John Brooks, the referee, really did bottle that. I think if that had been, I think if that had been much later in the game, or if that had been a you know a second foul a minute or two later, I think Trent walks on both occasions. But as you say, you know, looking at that at that first one back, the, the shove in the back from Gordon. Is, is quite something. So I don't know how he missed it. But I think, you know, after giving him that first yellow, there's no excuse not to give him a second. Yeah, yeah. again, here we are talking about poor performances of referees. Uh, I'd love a week when we don't have to do that. Um, we, we, I mean, we've spoken now and about the fact, you know, they had the man advantage, they had the goal advantage and what went wrong. We, we, we've spoken briefly about the subs. And is that the main answer? Is that what went wrong? The fact that he, he, he broke, Eddie Howe broke up that that midfield. Joe Linson was was really uh, the muscle. He was the force. Tonali was owning the centre of the park, and as you said, Gordon uh, was was for many the main threat. Uh, not for me, it was Miggy. I'll explain why in a moment. But you know, just the fact he, he's taken the three arguably best players off the pitch is that is as simple as that. That's why Newcastle lost the game. Look, it's certainly a contributing factor, I think. What I will say is how in his mind is probably thinking, look, I need to, I need to freshen this up slightly because I need, we know, we don't want to get leggy. Liverpool have made some changes. Let's freshen up and try and go for the jugular. As I said, I don't think Tonali should be in the man that came off. I don't know whether that was, you know, a fitness thing and he's still not maybe up to speed. Um, Gordon, I definitely wouldn't have taken off. I thought he was, you know, even though we've just talked about whether he was given... Alexander Arnold enough grief. I thought he looked really, really sharp every time he got the ball. Isaac and Wilson, you can debate. But I think ultimately you needed more from Longstaff Barnes and Wilson, and you didn't get it from any of them. 
coupled with you know Liverpool making some really really good substitutions, changing the game the way they did. I think it's it's not the only factor, but it's certainly a big reason why Newcastle United didn't win that game. Just felt that when the, the numbers went up and those players came off, especially Joe Linton, you looked at it and you thought you're losing a real bit of muscle in the middle of the park. You're losing that physicality because Anderson. He's going to have a great career, but he's not someone who will be defensive. You know that's not his instinct. Tenali, you know, up and down, you can do both, but you've you've taken him off and you brought Sean Longstaff on. I found it quite interesting actually that Sean Longstaff was playing a more wide role and he wasn't the one that was shifted in the middle. And then Bruno, uh, you know, was allowed to kind of be on the wide and, and roam. I felt that was quite interesting because if you're bringing Longstaff on, surely he should do that number six. He should kind of try and pick up the pieces and just, you know, just hang there and just pick anything up that comes the way. Because, again, we spoke about it last week. For me, Newcastle need an out-and-out number six. I don't think Bruno's got the discipline to be an out-and-out number six. You're not going to have Tenari there. Joe Linton's not going to be your man. Sean Longstaff is your best bet. But people will say, well, is he any better than Tenari or Bruno? But ability-wise, probably not. But in terms of technicality of what you need to do as a number six, I'd argue you is. But yes, you would like an upgrade. I think, again, it shone through yesterday that the lacking an out-and-out number six. And I, I, we mentioned last week as well whether Bruno playing in that role, is it hampering him? Because he's trying to be disciplined. He knows what he needs to do, but it's just not working for him. And maybe he's he is caught up in it. Bringing in number six, potentially play a you know, Bruno, that number six and Tonali. And I think that would work a lot better. Um, but I don't know about you. What's your thoughts? Um, I mean, I know I know, we're talking about it on a podcast, but it feels like a really, a, a, just a topic that is pointless talking about because we know Eddie Howe is not going to go out and get a number, a number six. There's somehow we can, we can debate till the cows go home. Until January, it's going to be Bruno Gomerish. I thought at times on Sunday, he looked good on the ball. He looked comfortable. He, you know, he didn't look, sort of overall by the occasion after the week he had, there was other points I thought, and maybe just, maybe just doesn't know what that role really is, you know, like someone like that is an out-and-out six would. Um, I don't know what he was thinking, you know, giving the ball away like that. I don't know what he was trying to achieve with that pass in the last minute when when Nunes obviously goes and scores. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't want to sit too, too much on the fence, but I think I've seen... I was keeping an eye after the game to see what fans were saying about Bruno because obviously he's been in the spotlight this week and he he, he started with a little bit of a polarising figure. And I don't know about you, but I saw so many people saying, oh, he was awful, you know, he needs dropped. To other people saying he was the best midfielder. I don't know what your take on it was. Yeah, it was split, wasn't it? I mean, for me, no getting away from his fault that that, that second goal was a really careless pass. I just feel like he's taken an extra touch, whereas last year he wasn't. Like he wants more time on the ball, and he's getting caught. There were there were a few instances where he was very lucky to draw a foul. On another day, he's not getting that foul in Liverpool break, and that's been the case. I think um, actually towards the end of last season as well, and certainly this stage of this season, something's not right. He's not hundred percent. I don't think, um, and Newcastle need him to be because when he is, he's Newcastle's best player, arguably. Look, I don't. Did Newcastle lose the game yesterday because of him? No. You know, yes, Liverpool scored. It was a silly pass, but you know, like we say, the the, the, the subs were probably the the main factor. 
Um, we just have to hope he finds that form again. And look, he wasn't the worst player on the pitch by any stretch. He's just not, for me, at the levels we've come to expect him to be. You've, you've felt like after the week he had with all the social media stuff and, and you know, the debate that's suddenly emerged about his form and, uh, you know, whether he needs to be dropped or not, you felt like he needed a real barnstorming performance Sunday. I was hoping that it was going to be, you know, that pre-match display in the corner of the Gallagher, you know, Vamos Bruno. I thought that was going to be the, you know, the uh, ammunition he needed. I thought he was going to have an absolute great game. He had a very, very good opportunity to do it. And I don't think he did. I thought he just sort of, Blended in, went under the went under the uh, radar a little bit. I think he was very very lucky him and Jolie not to get yellow cards. I think the second half, the pair of them you know committed three or four fouls, um, which might have sort of led to the reason Jolie was taken off. But he needs a he needs a really really Bruno Vol performance sooner rather than later just to get fans you know snapped back on side. I think. But you say that we've just said they're introducing this part of the podcast. They're split on social media. I think you and I are kind of in the camp where we say, look, he's not at the level he, he, we know he can be at. He needs to improve. But there'll be people listening to this who will probably switch off and say, oh, you know, Bruno's been great. What are you on about? And that, that's the beauty of, of football. Please stay with us. It's just our opinions. There was one moment, though, he flicked the ball. He was in the midway of his own half and he flicked the ball behind him. Goodness me. I mean, oh, I just, I just could not believe what he was doing. I just I can't stand when players do that. It's just there's a, there's a time and place for it, and it's it's never. Don't do it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. To, well, hopefully, you know, Brighton. We're talking about Bruno um, being back on on, on form because Newcastle certainly uh, need that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the the team sheet as well. I mean, I, you, you would largely expect it to be unchanged. I think I think anyhow is going to going to stick with it. Uh, I made the point, Aaron, last week about experience and we've we've kind of spoken today about the lack of know-how at least on my uh, opinion about about the game against Liverpool knowing how to kill that game off knowing how to manage the game I know you wrote a piece on the web about you know Newcastle have shown they can manage it can manage games it's a blip it's you know it's one result it's one performance again I'm going to disagree I, I, I think and I, I say this knowing farewell that they're not going to go and sign someone like a James Milner because who's out there? But again, I do think the performance against Liverpool in that second half showed that they are lacking some real experience. And, it, you know, they could so have done with someone like a James Milner type who, who you know, has been at the top end of the, 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 the game, who's been in cup finals, won Premier League titles and knows how to kind of just manage these games out. Yeah, look, we had the, we had a discussion last week. I think we've had it a couple of times in the last couple of months, and there's no getting away from the fact that yes, that the, the summer transfer window for me is is up there. You know, if I had to grade it, it would be an A. But you just look at that team and think they've went and signed another load of youngsters this summer. After we all sort of came away from that cup final, thinking oh, Man United have just got that little bit of extra know-how. Maybe they need a little bit more experience, but I think. You know, for me, I think they need one more anyway. I think regardless of what, you know, the scans come back and show on Sven Botman this weekend, I think they need another another bit of experience in that back line because I think even if, you know, Botman's fit enough for Sunday, which it looks like he probably will be, you're still only one injury away, from, you know, and it's Botman or Cher and you're back to really panicking about the cover they've got. Um, just the point you made on on that game management, I think, I think it is a blip. I think, you know, the piece I wrote on, 
on Monday was obviously about about Newcastle's record, and it's something like Newcastle had gone twenty two games at home under Howe, where they'd either won or drawn after scoring the first goal. Um, Liverpool was the first time they'd taken the lead, not seen it out. So, you know, it is a blip, I think. And I said any other day, ten minutes to hold on against ten man Liverpool, they would have done it. Um, it's just football sometimes, but I think I think you're right. And as I said, it's something that we've discussed at length. But I think you do just need maybe one or two more experienced heads in that dressing room. I felt there was no one grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. That's what it needed from Newcastle point of view. You saw a lot of players gesturing and, and trying to, you know, get their teammates to move into certain positions and trying to look for the for the pass that would take them forward, but it just wasn't there. And they've got a great leadership group. They have. And that's the foundation of what Newcastle um has been built on. And it's fantastic. And again, I say this you know, sorely kind of based on, on what I saw on Sunday. I don't think it's a terminal issue at all. But there wasn't anyone that was kind of directing and and, and organizing and, and and pushing. And it was it was it was a little bit disappointing to see. And I wonder, you know, whether whether you just need a, if you whether whether you need players to step up and let, let's hear the voice a little bit more. Yeah, look, I think I think a fully fit and firing Bruno is probably that man you look to in the middle. I think Joel Linton on another day could have maybe done a little bit more. I thought Joel Linton played quite well, as you know, funnily enough, John's just put in the comments say he had his best match for us this season. I thought apart from those silly sort of fouls he was giving away in the second half, I thought he had a he had a good game. Um but yeah, I th- I think you are looking around that pitch and some of them maybe just need a little bit of, you know, a little bit more vocal in games like that. I think you know, Trippier especially will have came out that pitch on Sunday, you know, absolutely fuming that they hadn't seen it out. Never mind the rest of the players now. So, you know, maybe it's one for the next couple of windows. John, as you said there, says Julian had his best match for us this season. Jody Toon for life says, first team-wise, we've only strengthened one player in Tenali. The signings are for the coming seasons. We could do with somebody now, not for the futures. Thoughts on that? I mean, I I, I, I agree. Um, again, I'll mention it. I think if Newcastle had gone out and signed James Milner just for a season or two, I think that would make the world of difference. I mean, look, he's he's still playing week in, week out for Brighton. Um, you know, he looks like a man who's just turned 30, not 37 or 38 or whatever he is. That experience, man, it's so crucial. And you know, I'm not saying they need to go and sign someone who's 33, 34, but just someone with a bit more knowledge and a bit more know-how about, you know, the, the top games. Because if it's... If it, it, if to me it's coming through now, it will come through those European nights as well. Yeah, I mean that that is the danger, isn't it? I think um, I'm just just sorry. I'm just looking at some of the free agents that are available at the moment that Newcastle could possibly pounce on. I just want to get you and the people in the comments some thoughts on these. Somebody's just mentioned in the comments there we should go and get Sergio Ramos. Now that is a you know it would look it would fill a a gap at the back and it would also bring that experience in. Ramos is one of them. I don't think Newcastle would be going for him. Eden Hazard, I mean, does he still even want to be a footballer? I'm not too sure. Jesse Lingard, available? He's training at West Ham at the moment. Okay, I mean, I know there's obviously links for him a couple of years ago. David De Gea still hasn't found another club after leaving Manchester United. Yeah, he's not going to join someone where he's going to play a second fiddle. I mean, that's what he could have done at Manchester United, probably on £250,000 a week. So, can't see that happening. The rest of them, I think, I think would, I mean, Alexis Sanchez is probably the only other one on that list that I recognise. Tuan Zabi's obviously just gone to Luton, I believe. 
um, back Yoko won't be touching that with a barge pro. So unless they're going to go out and do some serious, you know, transfer business in the last couple of days, their options are, are pretty slim. For me, as I've touched on, and anybody who listens or watching this podcast knows that, you know, I, I would really like just one more defender and I think they've had a very good window. But if you go out and sign another defender, Eddie, please, can you just make sure they're over 27 or 28, please? Yeah, we'll get on to the to the transfer market in a moment because we obviously you mentioned there Botman coming off injured and like you say, hopefully he'll be all right for the game against Brighton. Um, but I think you, you're definitely on the wavelength that regardless, another centre back has to come in. But you mentioned there, you know, go and get someone who's over us. What was it, twenty six, twenty seven? I think you said. That's not easy to do, is it? And again, you, you, you the same way that if you were going to bring in a third striker and you have to sell it, you're behind Wilson, you're behind Isaac. You go and sign someone who's 27, 28, you're going to have to sell it again. You're behind Share, uh, you're behind Botman. Is it an easy sell? No, of course it doesn't. It, it really, really isn't. And all, I'm, funny enough, I've just literally written a, a piece about this on the on the website about 25 minutes ago about how I personally think they need one more, you know, regardless of, of Botman's injury status. Um, but I just think also, you know, the club have had this really consistent stance that if they don't have to spend, they won't. You know, they were shut up shop last summer. They weren't going to bring in anyone else in until they had to go and get Isaac because Wilson was out. And I think ultimately, I don't want this to happen, but I ultimately think if, if Sven Botman's injury, which doesn't look like this as bad as we all first feared, if Eddie Howe doesn't want to go and sign anyone else, I don't think they're going to force him to sign anyone else. And I also I think that might just be a mistake because, as I said, they're one injury away at the back from really looking a little bit short in that position. I think Dan Byrne at centre-back might not be the option anymore. Um, and then you're obviously left with the cells. Alex Murphy hasn't made a Premier League squad this season. I think they just need one more at the back and then it's a, it's a really, really good window. But as you say... Trying to persuade someone to come in and really, you know, potentially play second fiddle to Fabian Share, um, at least for the, you know, the next season or two, it, it isn't an easy sell. And Darren asks, do you think Newcastle are going to hold back funds now for the January window? Look, I think yes. I think there's definitely money there to be spent this summer, as we saw last summer. But as I just said, I think unless they need to spend in the next couple of days, I don't think they will. It's looking like, you know, potentially they might not, which means that, you know, they can maybe attack the window with fresh eyes and Jan, depending on, you know, what their what their league their performance is like. I've seen certain people, some pundits saying they expect Newcastle to actually be busy in terms of incomings in the next few days. But as you say, your understanding is that it's more likely that they that they probably won't be. You don't think that the performance and the result on on Sunday, the start of the season you know, you, you you suddenly won't be on flight tracker watching the private jet land over in Riyadh. You know me, I'm never on flight tracker. It's not my not my game. I'll leave that to the fans. But um, ultimately, I think, yeah, I think, you know, I know we joke on this podcast and fans joke about a lot and that Eddie Howe's saying one thing usually means another. But I generally think he, he might have, have been honest last week when he said it's going to take injuries for us to spend. And I think he's happy with the squad they've developed. Somebody's just mentioned it in the comments that really, you know, Tonali looks like he's the only one at the moment that's going to walk straight into that first team. Barnes is obviously on the cusp, but then you're looking at Livermento and Hall maybe playing, you know, backup roles for this season at least, you know, getting a bit more experience. They, they might not have too much of a role to play. Um, 
but Howe seemingly thinks that those four are enough. And and as I said, if Howe thinks it's enough, you won't see Ashworth or or stay if he's trying to you know force players down down his throat that he doesn't want. No, indeed. It's that time of the show, ladies and gents. I'm going to just defend Miguel Almiron because he's been getting some stick over the weekend for not scoring. We've briefly discussed him, but I just want to defend him a little bit more. And I know people will say, well, you're bound to defend him because you're the founder and chairman of the Miguel Almiron fan club. But that is a jovial part of the pod. You know, I'll you know criticise him when needed. I will praise him when needed. And my defence of him now is like sincere because... Anthony Gordon had a fantastic game, but for me, Almiron was the biggest threat. You know, he had two of the, maybe three of, of the best chances. And as we've mentioned, world-class save. He can't do anything about that. Brilliant run, smacks it off the post, can't do anything about that. Yes, he hits one into the, the stand. That's inexcusable. But those two efforts, unbelievably unlucky. And I do think that, he has become a scapegoat. Someone said to me actually yesterday, if if, if Anson Maxman has that, had that sort of performance, social media would be would be you know clipping up the clips and 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 reposting them all over the shop. But because it's Miller Guelamiron, you know people come at him and say, "Oh, he's not prolific enough. He doesn't score goals." But such fine margins there. I mean, he could have been going away with a hat. People said to me yesterday, "Well, that's the point though. He's always the nearly man. He's never the actual man." But hey. Without his goals last season, Newcastle wouldn't have top four football. I still think he'll get double figures this season. Um, I think he was just unlucky on, on Sunday against Liverpool. Yeah, look, I, I wrote about this last week that he, that he is, you know, I wrote that, you know, Bruno obviously took offence to some of that abuse last week when really it, it should have been Almiron because some of the abuse he was getting after City were, was quite inexcusable. It seems like, as you say, there's just this sort of scapegoat air about him at the minute that no matter what he does, if he doesn't score, he's the man that's constantly getting the pelt. As I think, I think on, on Sunday, we saw the best and the worst of Miggy. You know, we saw the best of him when he was willing to pick the ball up in his own half, take three players on. He could have passed it. He didn't. He, he nearly scored it. What would have been a fantastic goal. I think that, you know, most of the days that volley that Alisson saves would have, would have ended up in the net. It would have been a fantastic goal. But then you see the bad side. You know, then you see the blazing one into the Gallagher from 12 yards when, you know, it's easier to miss than score. I don't know. Look, I, I like Miggy. You know, he's a grafter. We know this, but I think he is it falling in that Bruno camp where he needs a barnstorming two or three goal game, you know, to sort of take the heat off him a little bit at the moment. I think you just said it was easier to miss than it was to score. Do you it mean was. it was easier? To... No, sorry, it was easier to score than it was to miss. Sorry. See, see, you're defending him. He didn't even realise you were defending him. Um, yeah, I've got some comments here. Miggy wasn't expected to score the two-hour effort. The sitter is criminal. I mean, yeah, the sitter was 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 shocking. Trules asks, how many assists has Miggy got? Very few playing uh, right wing. She also adds, um, doesn't want Miggy gone, just to have him as a squad player. And a lot of people are actually saying Newcastle needs to upgrade. Now, it's really interesting when you say that because actually your man, Musa Diaby, looks like an absolute belter of a signing, but for whatever reason, Newcastle didn't follow up their interest in him. Brennan Johnson has been linked to Spurs uh, today. He's a man who can play out there on the right. He can play up top. He can play anywhere kind of across the forward line. £50 million, though. 
scored eight goals, debut season. I mean, that's a lot of money. I'm a big fan of him. He would be a great upgrade, um, and he's versatile. But Newcastle United, Eddie Howe, for whatever reason, think they've got enough on that right. You know, you've got Jacob Murphy, you've got Gordon, you've got Barnes who can play there as well. It's clearly not a priority. Uh, I guess that means it's just a big few months up until January for Miggy to rediscover that goal scoring touch he found at the start of last season. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it, there's absolutely no question that he saved his Newcastle career last year um, with that purple patch in front of goal. Obviously, got himself a new contract, but now he's got to do it all over again. He generally has to find similar, if not better, you know, goal scoring form to keep his minutes in the side because I think, you know, he can only live off that form last season so long. You know, fans know this. Um, you already sort of look at that position on the right as somewhere that they could further down the line strengthen as and as Truel says, you know, I, I think in time he might become um a squad player in this team. I think Jordy Tunfalice just summed it up here. Barnes has never played on the right in his career. I've seen lots of people calling for him to start on the right. I've seen lots of people for Gordon to start on the right. How often have we seen Eddie Howe play these players on the right? It's just complete speculation. Funnily enough, though, and I'd be interested to get your take on this, although I know the, I think I know the answer. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter in the last couple of days calling for Jacob Murphy to start against Brighton. Now, we've, we've been here before. Cost you an Andos. Yeah, um, I don't really want to be doing that again. <laughs> no. No, because I think Miggy was just so unfortunate that to drop him, because that's what it would be, Eddie Howe could call it resting, but no, it would be to drop him, would be very unfortunate. And Eddie Howe doesn't, just doesn't change his side anywhere as he needs to. I can't see, especially given the players that Brighton have and the way that Brighton play, Murphy puts in a shift, but Almiron puts in a bigger shift than most people on that pitch in terms of getting up and down and tracking back and doing what he needs to do. I mean, defensively disciplined, he really is. I think you remove him from the from the team against a, a side like Brighton, um, and I think you will... You, you would see it. You would see a difference. Yeah, look, I, th- I think I'm going to agree with you. I think, I think I would start with Brighton. I don't think he's he's done enough to be dropped. I thought he was, you know, as you said, I don't think he was their most promising option on Sunday, but he was certainly up there. You know, maybe you know closely behind Anthony Gordon. Um, but even though I would start him. He's maybe creeping towards, you know, borrowed time. He needs to have a good run of form to keep himself in this team, I think. Sorry, I was just plugging in my uh, lead there. If I you saw watching live and I disappeared and I came, but it wasn't a magic trick. I was just plugging in my probably. Yeah, he's not getting dropped. I mean, he's 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 playing on a Saturday because I think, like I say, just unlucky and the way Brighton play, you need Amion in that squad. Um but you guys watching live, let us know what you think about Aaron's comments there and then the suggestion that maybe Jacob Murphy, a new a new dad, um, could he play on, on Saturday against Brighton, which is going to be a really big test. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just... it's I didn't really want to be talking about losing to Liverpool. I didn't think we would do. Um, but there were positives. Um, Anthony Gordon, look, the way he had Alexander-Arnold... He, He's, we, we, we've been waiting for the, this moment. We've been waiting for that game. So important that he grabbed the goal because he knows he's got Harvey Barnes for competition. And he knows Harvey Barnes is probably more of a goal scorer than he is. So for him to get that goal, really important and one that you, you think he'll be building on in the weeks to come. 
yeah, he he really needed that game because you know he's been given the nod three times in a row by Ahao when a lot of people thought it would be it would be uh, Harvey Barnes at the start of the season. Barnes obviously comes on and scores at Villa. You know, that was always the thing you thought who was going to get the most goals out of the two, Harvey Barnes. But actually, if Gordon can start finding a scoring touch, he's got a huge opportunity to keep him out of the team. And look, he's he's fending him off so far. Um, very well taken goal, but even without the goal. Every time he got the ball, positive, very good at taking on his man. He's very, very good. Um, and we saw it for the for the Van Dyke setting off. He's very, very good at picking the ball up, cutting in, inside and finding these really intricate balls, you know, in behind. And I think it's early days. I don't want to put the jinx in it, but we're starting to see the next player who's really benefiting from Eddie Howe. And I think, look, if he can keep this form up, He's going to be really, really important. And Harvey Barnes is going to have to up this game as well because, as I say, it's a really good battle now between the two of them out on that left. Could you see Gordon on the right and Barnes on the left, perhaps? Um, look, there's no there's no question whether he can or not. It's just, you know, Eddie Howe hasn't tried these things before. He, he doesn't like to really spring those type of surprises in, in the starting 11. I think when you've got Miggy and Murphy on the right, I, I can't see it personally, but Look, stranger things have happened. And I think, you know, we could be sat here in a month's time looking at a completely different team. Um, but for me, I think I think it's Gordon and Bond on the left and and, and Miggy and Murphy battling out on the right. And he says Murphy did have um, you on out of the team for a long time last season. Trio says I would start Murphy and put Miggy on about the hour mark so he comes in fresh when the opponents are tired. John asks, Aaron. Is there a case for dropping Bruno and starting Longstaff? Never thought I'd be saying that. John clearly knows my my love affair with Sean Longstaff, but I, there's an argument for it. And look, I think people on the on this side of the argument that think Bruno needs to be dropped will will be not hoping for it. But considering that this weekend at Brighton, for me, I don't I don't know. I think I think it might just still be a little bit too soon to be. To be dropping any of that midfield three, despite only one win from three, I think I think they played all right. Yeah, not a chance. He's, he, he's getting dropped. I just I can't see how changing the sides unless he's forced to through injury uh, against Brighton. Um, yeah, really, really interesting to see what what happens. I think we've pretty much covered everything. I mean, obviously, we're waiting to hear more on the Botman injury. We hope he's going to be all right. We think. He'll be all right for Saturday. Transfer-wise, you know, if it is bad news, that would force Newcastle into the market. But as Aaron said there, any movement on incomings would probably uh, be a little bit of a, a surprise. But outgoings-wise, Hayden to Luton still leaves you with Jeff Hendrick. Obviously, Ryan Fraser's gone. Still a few to get out the door, though. Newcastle's still struggling to get everyone they want out. Yeah, look, a few outgoings still to come, obviously, as you touched on there. Uh, Isaac Hearn going to Luton. Ryan Fraser, which, which, you know, I still can't believe they can't get him off the books fully. Still, obviously, only on loan. Jeff Hendrick not attracting too many suitors as of yet. And then, really, it goes into the category of this is maybe where Newcastle could dip back into the market because there's a little bit of interest in Matt Target, who's now obviously slipped to potentially being third choice at left-back. Obviously, Fulham um, interested in him over the weekend. There's lots of talk whether... Um, Jamal Lascelles could also go. He's been attracting interest. And then you've got Javier Manquillo at right back, who Eddie Howe insists he want to keep. Um, but there's three that he could maybe look out for between now and Friday. Um, and, and look, one of them going might, especially Lascelles, I think would would prompt um, 
some some income and action for Newcastle. There you go. You have to keep a close eye on that one. You can do through our dedicated transfer live blogs over on our website. Two segments left then of the podcast. The refreshing segment. Have you noticed I haven't said it this episode? What was refreshing? It's an easy one. Anthony Gordon's performance. This is what we've been waiting for. A goal. And he's going to build on it. And he's going to go on to have an absolute belter season. So that was the refreshing element for me. We'll dive into the trivia now. You ready for this, Aaron? It's very similar yeah. to last week. I'm going to get you to name the starting 11 of Newcastle United that last beat Liverpool in the Premier League. Oh. Do you need me to tell you the date and the year? Um, can you remember? No, give me the give me the date and the year. Sixth of December, two thousand and fifteen. Two thousand and fifteen. Okay. Two 0 to Newcastle United. Andre Marina was the referee, and fifty one thousand two hundred and seventy three of you saw the Magpies beat Liverpool. Steve McLaren was the man in charge. Right. Okay. So we're gonna go with. Who, who, 15, 16, so relegation season. Who was the goalkeeper for relegation season? Darlow? It wasn't called Darlow, no. Right, we'll move on to, move on to other, um, other positions then. Oh, this, is tr- this is tricky, you know. Right, you. I'll, I'll give you some clues. So one yeah. of the people who started in defence is still at the club now. Uh, Lascelles. Nope. Um, still at the club now. Should I, I'll, get, should I, I'll start you off. So, yeah, in goal, you've got yeah. Rob Elliott, and then you've got Paul Dummett as the man still at the club. Okay, Dummett. Right um, back, right back, you've got a defender who was pretty good, uh, he left Newcastle the summer they were relegated and joined the Premier League side down in London. Would you say London? Uh, just outside London. Jan Matt. Jan Matt. Centre back. You had um you a defender who I really liked. He did uh, wear a nice tuxedo on on more than one occasion. And Good old probably chance. yeah, Chancellor Mbemba. Now this man in the centre of midfield, I think was dealt a very difficult hand when it came to his Newcastle United career. He arrived as the only signing after Newcastle finished fifth. Bernier. Yeah. Then you have um, an ex Sunderland player um, in the midfield as well. Uh, Colback. Yeah. The other centre back, former captain, likes to hold tea parties. Likes to hold tea parties. Too young to remember that. Oh, is it? Oh, is this um, Colacini? Colacini's tea party is indeed. Uh, then you've got a Dutchman who should have Jim. been Will. Did Will Jimmy well. Yeah, got the, the 90th minute winner. Yeah, we'll give you that okay. one. Another Dutchman started and he should have been world class at Newcastle, oh, but he had um, a horrible run of luck with injuries. Dion, your boy. Yeah. Uh, then you've got a Frenchman who. Uh, Left when Newcastle were relegated, went on to play for Spurs. Yeah, so so cool. And then finally, the striker, a scorer yeah. of great goals. Who do you say? I was going to say Mitrovic. No. 
Nope. Score of great goals. Great goals. Scored quite a few goals, but mainly he was a scorer of great goals. No, I'm, I'm not sure. I was banking on it being Metro. Pat SCC. Oh, CC. Pat SCC. So there you go. The starting 11 um, when Newcastle last beat Liverpool in the league, December 2015. It's been a wee while. Hopefully the next time they face each other down at Anfield, uh, Newcastle can get the win. Do you think, Aaron, just on that, Obviously, Newcastle got a torrid record against Liverpool. Eddie Howe's got a horrendous record. I mean, that's eleven now. Does that play a little part in, in what happened on Sunday? I, it was it was mentioned on BBC Five Live's Monday Night Club, uh, and I thought I'll I'll jot that down and mention it because we you know we've talked about psychological barriers and stuff. Does that really impact the manager? I mean, Liverpool are clearly Newcastle's bogey side, but does it? I mean, is Eddie Howe waking up on Sunday morning thinking, oh? Can't face him again, can I? I, I, I don't think so. Look, I, I, I can't speak, you know, for what's in manager's mind, but surely Eddie Howe hasn't woke up on Sunday and thought, "Oh, I'm facing Jurgen Klopp today, who, by the way, has beaten us ten consecutive times." And I mean, it's now the longest winning run of any prem manager against another prem manager. But surely that doesn't play on your mind. I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm not too sure about that one. But very, it, look, it's a very interesting stat. And also, there's another stat, and it, and it was that, as I've just mentioned there, Newcastle, obviously, 22 games without losing at home after scoring first. Liverpool now haven't lost any of their last six when they've fell behind. So, they're clearly, you know, very, very good at coming back from behind to win. So, just one of those days for Newcastle. Oh, oh we had this discussion last week when you said something similar, one of those days. It's interesting, isn't it? Because... We will sign off on this. The picture of that banner has been doing the rounds. You know, we don't demand a club that wins, just a club that that, that tries. But it's not relevant anymore, is it? Newcastle United have moved on. It's a totally different era. It's a totally different team and totally different ambitions and and expectations as well. I don't really like that word, but it it is. And it's interesting to see the, the reaction to this defeat compared to the defeat last week against City. Does that suggest that Newcastle have come so far that actually the majority of people believe they're on the level of Liverpool at the moment, despite the fact Liverpool can bring a £90 million striker off the bench? I wouldn't say fans think that on their level, but I think we're now going into these matches knowing that this new Newcastle can take points off them, which adds to the disappointment when they don't. Very, very different defeats, obviously, the last two weeks. The City one, I think... You know, there was a, maybe a little bit of an overtop reaction because fans were so confident after Villa going into City. Liverpool, you know, this disappointment for so many different reasons because, you know, they should have never, ever, ever lost that game. As I say, though, I don't think I don't think fans think they're now on that level, but I think they're certainly getting closer to it, and it's only going to make defeats like these more painful. But just on that on that banner and the photo that was doing the round, it, the goalposts have changed now. It, it's not enough for them to just try. You know, they they need to be winning these games and need to be, you know, trying to stay around the top four, the top six, because, you know, it's not Mike Ashley's Newcastle United anymore. What does it do for the, the kind of the, the spirit and confidence, I guess, of Liverpool on one hand and, and the spirit and confidence of Newcastle to the other? Because I do think there is that kind of psychological barrier in terms of beating the, the very top sides. 
And yesterday or Sunday, if they had done that, would have been a huge step. You know, that would have been a step up the next level of the evolution of, uh, of Newcastle. Is it easy to get over this result? Like, do you, do, you, do you see that it's looked upon as, okay, you've lost against Liverpool, we'll address what went wrong and then we'll move on because we've got Brighton. Or do you think it might run a little bit deeper because come May, you're expecting, well, some are expecting Newcastle to be in and around Liverpool you know, battling for the top four? Look, it's certainly not going to be easy to, you know, to go against Saturday to, to lose in that manner will will certainly be crushing. But I think one thing you know about Eddie Howe team, certainly since he took over at Newcastle, is very, very rarely have they gone on these runs where they lose games and games and games consistently. You know, they, they do quite often bounce back. We haven't really seen them have a, a blip. And I think... Let's say they were to lose to Brighton and then lose to Brentford after the international break. I think that's what you would probably call Eddie Howe's worst, you know, blip as Newcastle manager. It doesn't really happen. Um, so look, if I was, if I was put my money on it, I think they'll be back to you know close to their best. Very very tricky game away at Brighton on on Saturday, but I think West Ham have proved that they are beatable despite sort of the the early shouts about how well they were doing. Um, but look, I think. I think if they fail to, I think if they lose to Brighton, I think maybe a few nerves start to creep in among the fans. Two points there. Does the fact that it's been Man City, Liverpool, Brighton, the thumped Villa, who many people were tipping to be battling for top four this, this, I mean, and the way they've gone on since that defeat, but can is is there a defence? You know, if you know you are playing, you've played four fantastic teams. So even if they lose against Brighton, I, mean, I don't subscribe to it myself, but I can see maybe yourself maybe saying, you know, you've got to put in the context to who they're playing in the start. Yeah. I mean, it is a difficult start of the season. Yeah, of course it is. And I think, look, let, if if they beat Brighton Saturday and you look at the, the the six points from the first four games, you're thinking, okay, who they've played, that's actually not too bad of a return. If they lose, I think, you know, maybe people like me that are trying to stay positive will, will say, well, you've got to look at their first opening four games and worry about it further down the line. Because after that after that Brighton game, their fixtures become a lot easier. I think I think we just have to remember, everybody when the, when the fixtures came out at the start of the season commented on how tough the fixtures were. And I think we've just got to maybe, you know, keep our, our thoughts on, on how well it's going until further down the season. And just finally, because we're in a very rare predicament or rare scenario where Eddie Howe's actually getting criticism for what he's done. That hasn't really happened mm-hmm. uh, since he's taken charge. I mean, you had some bad games. You know, the game against Norwich, to mine, was, was an awful game. And, you know, they have, but that was very early on in the project. You know, for the last season and a bit, it's been, it's been fantastic and he's not been criticised. Uh, but... Do you, do you think he'll, I mean, you might not, I mean, to be fair, actually, I was going to say he might not have made it publicly, but he did. He said, you know, in hindsight, he wouldn't make them substitutions again. He'll be well aware of this, the, the criticism, well aware that he that he got it wrong in the eyes of many. But he, he'll welcome that critique, won't he? Like, he, he will take that on board because he's a man who always striving to improve. And if he just sits in his own echo chamber... And, and and doesn't face the criticism. I mean, that's not what he how does, does he? He likes to be kept on his toes and he likes to be told, okay, you maybe didn't get that right. He analyse it, see what went wrong, and then learn from it and, and, and build on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there was always one quote from how that stood out and it was very, very early on 
think it might have been the Cambridge defeat in the FA Cup at St James's, where he said, actually, you know, you can learn a lot more from losing than you can winning. And I think Eddie Howe's lost so few times at Newcastle in the grand scheme of things, he, he will be taking points from it. And he probably will. As you say, he admitted after the game about the substitutions. He might be thinking twice next week about, you know, when they're in this position, if they're potentially one up at Brighton, do you need to make, you know, those those changes as I said look pre-planned. There's going to be learning curves, positives to take from Saturday, F sorry, from Sunday. Um, we just got to hope that they get back on track this this weekend. Indeed, it's going to be a great game to cover. We'll have the match preview with me and John Gibson later this week. We'll also have uh, the recording of a live event on Wednesday. Uh, the panel at the Tyneside Irish Centre of Aaron there, Kieran Kelly, Lee Ryder, Henry Winter and Matthew Reyes. But that podcast will go out on early th- Thursday morning. There are still a few tickets left if you would like to come along. £10 in. We've also got Sir John Hall in the second half of the show. Uh, money being given to the Super Robertson Foundation and the Food Banks will come along and get that. If you can cast your vote for us in the Football Content Awards as well, that would be much appreciated. I'll pop the link in the description. Just take two minutes to fill that out. And yeah, I'm away next week. So Aaron is going to be in the hosting chair uh, with a with a guest for the Monday show. But the Monday show will be back on Monday. And we'll have a few special podcasts as well to cover ourselves through the international break. Uh, quite a, a good one I'm looking forward to actually, Aaron. We're going to address those who have joined the Saudi Pro League. Just a bit of fun and discuss whether Newcastle United could have done with uh, any of the signings. We're not talking Ronaldo or uh, anyone of, of that level, but the realistic ones. So watch out for that one. It's going to be a fun one to do. But in the meantime, uh, for myself and Aaron, thank you very much for joining us. Hit that subscribe button, hit the follow button, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk and we'll see you guys very soon. Bye.